0: this is david dearman i'm the pastor at memphis tabernacle and this is our podcast i wanted to thank you for joining us today i hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith i hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see god move in your life enjoy the message sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. Hmm. Some of you guys get that. But for those of you that don't, I just feel like I need to say it one more time. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. So it is by his grace and under his guidance that I stand before you today, giving him honor first and foremost. I thank God for this opportunity to serve our family of believers. You know, I, I fly quite a bit. Just stay here with me for a little while, will you? I love it here, David. <laughs> you know, I fly quite often. I travel away from home 15 to 17 times per month. So I'm on a plane quite a bit. And so I've learned that sometimes those two-hour, three-hour, eight-hour flights are the only opportunity that I have to just really shut down and not be on. So when I get on the plane, I've assumed the posture of one that wants to shut down. I put my AirPods in. I kind of turn my back to the window. And, but it never fails that God reminds me that when we have trusted him and he's answered, that we never get to turn it off. And so people will tap me every now and then, and they always ask the same question, hey, what do you do? I'm like, do I look weird, or do I just have this vibe that I give off? And, and so I learned very quickly the last thing that I'm ever going to say in that situation is pastor because it produces extreme responses. Either people become extremely apologetic and emotional and tearful, or they absolutely shut down. And so i started to say things like consultant. But lately, there's been such a stirring in my soul that every response should come from on high first and then down and through. So I began to seek him in the little things. And this gentleman touched me the other day and he said, Hey, what do you do? I said, I'm a correspondent for Christ. (laughs) I say, Everywhere that I go, I assess what is happening before me
1: and I run it through a
0: cruciform lens. And then I tell the story through that lens. Because sometimes what we see is not what he said. And so I come to bring truth to dark places. I come to bring light to dark places. And he had a ton of questions. It opened a door. but, But what was most important was when we got off the plane. He said, I don't know why you sat in the seat you sat in. I don't have all the answers. I didn't have them when I got on the plane and I don't have them when I got off, but I know that God sees me because he sought the Lord and God heard and he answered with something as simple as a passenger on a plane. We're all passengers. If you could stand with me, I'd like to open up with the word of God. This morning I'm gonna be teaching on relational reciprocity. We walk into situations and whether we verbalize it or not, oftentimes we ask ourselves the question, what is in it for me? Or what is required of me? I think that's a Holy Spirit inspired question. We just have to put it in the proper context. So if you'll turn with me to Galatians 4 8 through 9 I just want to set some foundation and then we'll unpack this together. Galatians 4 8 through 9 I am reading from the NLT version and I think we have that up front. But before you Gentiles knew God you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know, God, or should I say, now that God knows you, now that God sees you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Father God, we come to you in a surrendered posture. Arrest anything that is not of your will. Lord God, I pray that you will let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight and be informative to your people so that they may go ye therefore and tell the world about a savior that saw them that heard them and answered their cry in big and little ways we honor you in this moment Lord and it's in Jesus's precious name that I pray amen Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. You know, after a worship service like that, there's so many words that float around up here. I want to get up and acknowledge what I felt from the time I arrived in Memphis to the moment that I get here. And that's how life works. You know, there's so many things that we want to say that we could say But I think it always has to boil back down to, God, what would you have us to say? And so, Pastors David and Tiffany, I want to begin by just acknowledging how grateful my family and I are to to worship alongside of you, not just this morning, but in big picture. Um, Tiffany mentioned that I am the district supervisor for um, Foursquare. I'm very careful to seek the Lord even in that. What is that? You know, I think sometimes we look at denominational affiliations and we kind of get itchy. And I think we get itchy because we are trying to apply the world's principles to holy construct. So let me make this clean for you, okay? I'll make it real clean. Most denominational affiliations are relational networks. They're relational networks. We relate to each other on these things, the non-negotiables we relate to each other on. Because what I am learning as I walk out this role and as I walk out God's calling on my life, that that's not quite the phrase that describes us, relational network. I believe, I have seen, and I can testify to the fact that we are a missional ecosystem. And there is a difference in a relational network and a missional ecosystem. In an ecosystem, if one of the cells gets sick, the entire body fails to function as it should. And so I enjoy being a part of this missional ecosystem with your pastors, David and Tiffany. It is an honor to be here. But I walk in authority in this role because I live under authority, first that of Christ and and secondly to my husband because he loves me truly as God loves the church. And so I honor you. I very rarely get to say this to his face. Usually I'm looking up into the camera because I know he's watching me online. We have five children and he holds it down at home. And I honor you for that. We have a 20-year-old, a 19-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 6-year-old. My man is Superman. (laughs) And so I just thank you for allowing me to walk out God's call on my life. Make sure that you are surrounded by people that can both see God's anointing on you and support it. Amen? It is important, even our young folks that are in here, as you identify those that you're going to intimately engage with, if you have to keep your calling, God's anointing, the questions that you have that only have heavenly answers a secret, then you're in the wrong circle. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that can both see you, God's calling on you, and support it. So I want to share this message with you. This is the first time as the district supervisor, usually there are themes um, that are universal to the body, and so the messages that I teach are usually consistent as I travel throughout the district. Our, Our district covers from Maine to Miami at its furthest points north and south, and over to Memphis at its point further west. And so it is an honor to be here. I speak of you often. I pray for you often. um, But it is an honor to be here. But usually my messages are pretty consistent. But God has been working some things out here lately. So I just want to ask your permission if we could just have a conversation this morning. I want to unpack this one and work it out with you. And I think God calls us to that place sometimes. You know, I, I, I have a six-year-old, and unlike my oldest three, my oldest three were so appropriate. They just We taught them, and they just did what we said, Tiffany. <laughs> but the younger two, Wild Man, Wild Man Kingston, who I love dearly, and, and the six-year-old, they tend to ask Why? A little bit more frequently. And so you have to be careful who you're around because you tend to pick up their tendencies. And so, because they asked me why, the six year old asked me one day, she said, Hey, mom, do you like your job? I said, Yes. Now, remember, 15 to 16 days on the road, she said, Do you like it more than you like us at home? I said, Absolutely not. This is just an opportunity to do what God has called me to do and to go and encourage people and support pastors. And and I said it very convincingly. And she said, well, hey, is this job going to help you get into heaven? She took the conversation from macro to micro real fast. And sometimes we have to ask God, what are we talking about? Because we'll get very generalized in our religiosity. We have phrases that we clung to and we'll repeat those on on autodial instead of really dialing in and saying, okay, God, what are we talking about in this moment? So I've been real careful as I've begun to navigate this space because we can get into rhythms. We sing the same songs, we read the same scriptures. And I believe that his mercies are new every morning. And so sometimes we should have to lean in yes. and say, what are we really talking about, God? And, and I've had to lean in a little bit lately because I'm going, going, going. I'm committed to going, going, going. And then all of a sudden there's a snap literally in my ankle. <laughs> I'm like, okay, God, what are we talking about? Is this one of those things where I'm just going to be supernaturally healed because I can't supernaturally stop in the moment? People have expectations. I'm on the schedule to speak at Memphis Tabernacle. We've been planning this for over a year. What are we talking about here? And so I made the decision to compensate for the pain in my ankle by going to my toes. See, in my former life, when I was in high school and college and even before, I was a dancer, uh, toured all over the world, and I was very accustomed to walking on my toes. So it was muscle memory. How many of you feel pain and you go back to muscle memory instead of really getting to the heart of the matter? Well, that's what I did with this ankle. There was pain in my ankle, and so my muscle memory said, get up on your toes, And so I did, up until last week, we were in Anaheim, California, and my eight, nine, 10 hour days turned into 12, 14 hour days, and my very regular cadence and pace was like a sprint. And so now, instead of walking on my toes, I'm sprinting on my toes, I'm standing on my toes, and because we are fully Pentecostal and charismatic, I was dancing on my toes. With significantly more weight than I had done that before. Yes. And some of you know that feeling. We learn to carry things around with us at our best, that when we experience pain, the weight just hits a little different. So the weight hit me a little different. And I found myself having conversations that were a blur. I found myself engaging people that I really wanted to engage, that I was really happy to see. And there was a disconnect because of the pain that I had compensated for by going back to a familiar posture. And I did that literally without acknowledging the pain to anyone else until it about put me on my face. Sometimes we wait too long to figure out what are we really talking about. So now everyone is aware because I've almost fallen two or three times in Anaheim. The pain is all over my face and I have to communicate it because they're interpreting it to be something else. You know, you're walking around with pain because of one issue, thinking that no one can pick up on it, but they're picking up on all of it. But it may be something very different than what you're really experiencing. My pain was about me. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about the people I was engaging. But everyone started to ask, are you okay? What's wrong? And I'm like, oh, how can they see inside? Let that sit for a minute. So I get home. My husband now has put his foot down. And he said, you have an appointment with the orthopedic surgeon at such and such time on this date. And I go in and, you know, again, I'm a believer and I've seen God respond. My son, my oldest son was about sixth grade, Daryl, seventh grade. When he went into the ER, they diagnosed him with a fracture. He said, Mama, God told me they made a mistake. And I'm like, oh, Lord, how am I going to explain on the other side of this? Well, guys, follow up and x-rays later, the surgeon comes out and say, hey, let me show you where they made a mistake. And so I've seen God heal, and so I know that He can. But I'm walking into the doctor's office, and I hear a small voice say, You will walk out with a boot. I'm like, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't have an unresting c- sensation inside, it was peaceful. But it was matter of fact, you're going to walk out with a boot. And I did. And this was the explanation given. I fractured the inside, the big bone in my ankle, probably two months ago. And because I didn't deal with the pain at the time and I compensated by going up and putting the weight on a structure in my body that was never intended to carry that weight, I then had three stress fractures across my toes. Guys, when you compensate by not going to the creator of the universe, to deal with some of the pains you're feeling by carrying the weight in other areas, it will eventually fracture. And now you have compound issues to deal with. So I stand in front of you this morning as a witness to say sometimes you can't unsee what you see, but God is asking us a question And I believe that question is, what do you say about it? Amen? Amen. What do we say about it? So reciprocity, relational reciprocity is what I want to talk about. When we are walking in relationship with Jesus, and I'm going to make an assumption that most of you that are here have varying degrees of an appreciation and a relationship with Jesus. Now, Someone may be here, someones may be here that you came seeking to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to hold on. I'm going to talk to those that sought the Lord, know he heard them and answered, and have entered into a relationship with him. I want to talk to you all first. Is that okay? Okay. Because I believe sometimes we get it twisted about Sunday mornings. I believe that Sunday mornings are intended to be, I'm married to a coach and so you'll hear a lot of sport analogies. Most of the children in my house are athletes except for my Disney princess. And, and so you'll hear me use a lot of sport analogies, but I believe that Sunday mornings are intended to be a huddle. Yeah. Or we can come together and say, hey, ooh, you took a big hit out there. You didn't run to play. Let me help show you what was intended to happen. I believe that Sunday morning should be a pep rally to say, hey, you got your head bashed in, but we're about to go back out there and do it again. Or or we won that one. Let's celebrate for a moment knowing that this life is a cycle, right? But sometimes we treat this as this is the entire of what God desires to do with us this is just about discovery God who are you and who am I in you and development how do I do this thing called life better discipleship happens life on life and that's usually Monday through Saturday but we can talk about that more later pastor yeah I dream of the day when church happens every morning and on Sunday we rest reciprocity. I wanted to define this because I'm speaking in Mexico and I was, I used the word reciprocity when I was prepping with my translator and he said, oh, that's a hard word. And I said, well, maybe I need to start defining this, but it's the practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefit. Well, how is that biblical pastor? Let me take you to John 3:16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, that doesn't show reciprocity. That just shows a holy God did a holy thing that helps a whole lot of people. You need to keep reading in God's word. Over in Matthew 16, 24 through 25. It reads, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, okay, we're seeing this exchange. This is what I gave you, but this is my expectation back, reciprocity. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. In a world where we are becoming increasingly inundated with unholy headlines and negative narratives, we travel further and further from the truth. It is reasonable that one could become desensitized. Personalized convictions morph into generalized accepted norms Fundamentals of our faith becomes lines to be blurred to satisfy sound bites and increase social media likes. I've searched far and wide for answers that I didn't know once to look for. And he keeps taking me back to the balanced simplicity of the gospel that is built on relational reciprocity. Jesus truly is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He came that we might live and have life more abundantly, but that is just as much of an accountability for us as it is a gift. Going back to the scripture that I shared in Galatians, we have a tendency. We have a tendency to look for heavenly answers in worldly places without owning our accountability in the matter. And so this morning, I want to give you seven nuggets, seven truths, and, and one call to action, if you will, and I'm not going to stay very long. Reciprocity requires that we see what is required of us as well as we see what's in it for us. So many times when we're preaching and teaching the gospel, We share about the goodness of the Lord, and he is good. I have searched him and found that he is very good. But I'm telling you what I'm experiencing in this season. I want to share with you, and 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 some of you that are intuitive caught me stumbling a little bit, because I always balance how much of what God shows me am I to share So I needed to talk to him a little bit in the midst of talking to you. So if you caught that stumble just now, it was intentional. I had to pause for a minute and say, okay, God, is this for them or was that just for me? And I believe he said, share it. So I'm going to share with you if you'll allow me to. I had a vision not too long ago. It was a concrete pool, a gunite pool, if you will. Very solid structure. Tall ladder on the end of a pool with a big platform. And I don't know how I knew, but I knew in my dream that it was pastors that were going up the ladder and standing out on the platform. Then all of a sudden, I started seeing lines of people going up the ladder and going to the platform and diving into what I knew was a very deep concrete pool with no water. It became horrific. I didn't know how to unpack it, didn't know what to do with it. So I shared it with a few of my spiritual mentors and I got a phone call and he said, Pastor, I call with a repentant heart. We didn't know. We climbed up the ladder that was set for us. We went out on the platforms that were given us and we didn't realize that we were calling people up just to walk out into life and land in spiritual death because the Holy Spirit flow wasn't flowing. We didn't check the water. And so I said, God, what is your response to this? He said, take the ladders down. Go into the shallow end. Go into the shallow end. Get the people to gather in the shallow end. So I need you to go with me to the shallow end. Just as when Ezekiel was walking out in his vision, he started out with water up to his ankles before he went to water that was waist deep, before he swam in deep waters. You don't get to just climb up ladders and jump off into spiritual depth without first appreciating what happens in shallow spaces. And I'm here to tell you that the four square gospel is a simple one. It's shallow water. Jesus saves. Jesus is healer. Jesus is baptizer of the Holy Spirit. And he's coming back again. If you can't swim in that shallow water, dare not venture to go out into the deep end. And with everything that's in me, I compel you not to climb up tall ladders and think you're going to take nosedives into deep waters. Because this world has drained those things that once appeared to be a remnant of religiosity but had no spiritual substance. They found the plug. So unless the flow of the Holy Spirit is really coming and informing And how do we know? How many of you have ever watched high dives? I've not watched it since Greg Louganis, but high dive dive fans. Have you noticed what they do before they go up the ladder? What do they do? They stick their toe in the water. So I heard a reporter question a diver once, say, hey, why do y'all do that? He said, because I don't need to figure out that there's no water in the pool from up that high. Guys, Sunday morning is an opportunity for us to come and stick our toe in the water. And then not climb up a little higher, but go to the deep end, to the shallow end, and walk in slowly. So that by the time we have to swim, (laughs) we're ready. By the time we have to swim, we're ready. So I want to give you these points. Number one. Seven points. They all start with R if you're taking notes. So if you're like me, you can go ahead and start writing down. Number one is the reality that life is hard. He said it would be hard. I deal a lot with impoverished populations, and sometimes I don't understand. On Monday, I had to go and get a mom and her 17-month-old and her 7-month-old out of an abandoned vehicle that they had been living in since January the 4th. It was 93 degrees in Huntsville, Alabama, and I just could not make that make sense until I went back to God's word in my heart and it said the poor will always be among us. But that doesn't release us from our responsibility to tell them about a God that brings hope and love and peace and joy. But the reality is, and we set people up if we don't say this, life is hard. That's my first point. So when life gets hard, we have an opportunity to do one of two things. The first thing is point number two, react. Most of us react. There's a news story that we don't like. We get gangster thumbs. Right? Those of you that got that, got that. We react really quickly. That's the first option is to react. But in the word of God, it tells us to be slow to speak, to be slow to anger. And if we are angry, to be angry, but sin not. not. But we do have the option because God is a God of free will. And so when life gets hard, number one, number two, one of the options is to react. Now, there is a recovery from reaction. And what I'm learning from most world-class athletes, it's not that life doesn't happen to them. It's not that they don't suffer injury. It's not that they don't feel pain. It's that their recovery times, they've learned how to make them shorter. So as Christians, we're not called to a place of perfections. We're just called to figure out what it takes for us to recover quickly. So number two, number one is reality happens. Number two is you have an option to react. And the only thing that keeps you from number two is number three. And that's relationship. Jesus is the way. That's not conjecture. I've learned that if I look through anything but a cruciform lens for most things that I try to assess in this life, it leads me down a lonely road and ultimately at a dead end. When I was working this out in my head, and my heart, what I saw was my seven points going down the, what is this? This is vertical. This is horizontal. Okay, so this is vertical. So I saw the world. Why do I get that? Does anybody else get that messed up? I have a degree in biology and chemistry, and I don't know the difference between horizontal and vertical, but my words, I saw the words going down, not across. So I saw that first word, reality. I saw that second word, help me, react. And then I saw the third word stretched out across the horizon that said, relationship. Did somebody feel that? I felt it when I was studying. It was relationship, it is the lens through which we see everything else that gets us to the root. Of the problem. See, we've been taught in our westernized way of thinking, many of us, that the, to figure it out, we must climb up the ladder, that the way is up. I am telling you that we learned back in Babylon that the way is down. Get to the root of the matter, or else we're we just compensating. Amen. I went up on my toes, but nobody could, I don't think anybody could could see that. So we're working our way down to get to the root of the matter, but you can't even see through to point number four, which is revelation without going through a relationship with Christ. So for those of you that I left behind earlier that you have not come to that place where you have an appreciation for who God is and who you are through him, this is your opportunity. This is your bus stop. Get on. Amen. You can get on right now. You don't need anything extra. You can get on the bus right now. Because we're going to look through the realization that the creator of the universe sent his only begotten son here. So that we could not just have eternal life, but life more abundantly on earth. Through relationship. And then comes revelation. Once we have a relationship. I believe that this is where the word lean not on our own understandings, but in all our ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. He is going to do that in his written word and through his written word. Amen? But he also does it through the comforter that he said he was leaving behind in the Holy Spirit. So there are some things that you may not be able to pull up text and verse, But you can absolutely dial up that voice of the Lord that lives inside of you and say, what say ye? That is revelation. There is a lot of revelation that I get in God's word. And every time I think I know it all, I learn again that I know nothing outside of Christ crucified. This role and my previous roles have allowed me to sit at the table with men and women who have accomplished great things by any one standard. And I'm going to tell you what I'm learning about brilliance. Whether it's biblical literacy or man's knowledge, the brighter you are, the more you realize that you know nothing. And everything becomes a pursuit. That is revelation. It's the pursuit of the one who knows it all. It is not dialing up intellectual or cerebral fortitude. How would you have for me to respond? It's the acknowledgement that God is sovereign, and it's only in that place that we can form our response. And that's number five. My point is respond. If you are acting outside, if if your response is outside of a revelation of who God is and a personal relationship with Him, you are just reacting. Even if it sounds real good, even if it garners a lot of applause, if it is outside of your relationship with God and a revelation for who he is, whether you think you are responding or not, you are reacting. But response is an acknowledgement that obedience is better than sacrifice. Let me tell you where he took me in this word. He said the response is either or. And either or, he accepts. We can go back to Cain and Abel. We can go back to times in the temple. We can respond with sacrifice. I give you this. You touched on it a little bit earlier. It is sacrificial for some to give. And the fact that you give as a sacrificial gesture, I believe he receives that. And because you're led by a noble shepherd, that put God puts God first, that sacrifice is going to use, be used to build up the kingdom. However, I believe that it's what we do out of obedience that unlocks the keys to his greatest truths. So you can have a revelation of who God is, you can be in a personal relationship with him, and you can be responding and not reacting, but it's going to either be obedience Or it's going to be sacrifice. He says that obedience is better than sacrifice. I say it's up to you which one you choose. Because sometimes it's easier to sacrifice. I used to worship. And guys, don't change up your posture because of me. Because I'm on a lifelong journey with the Father. And when I'm done, I pray that he'll call me up to glory. I want to be a lifelong learner in him. And I used to worship like this. I surrender all. I used to open up my messages with, all to Jesus, I surrender. And he said, in this season, I don't need you to sacrifice or to surrender. I need to arrest you. I need to obey. So now my song is bad boys, bad boys. (laughs) So my whole posture has changed. Not because of something I read in the verse, not because of some deep theological well, but it changed because of what he spoke to me. He said, in this season, I don't need your sacrifice, Shonda. I need to arrest the way you process some things. And so I find myself when I'm in environments where I feel a little bit self-conscious because I have a boot on or because I'm around people that I don't know. I have found myself wanting to go back to muscle memory. And he said, arrest that. Yes. 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 Some of you need to rewalk down your streets. Yes. And instead of folding your hands and praying quietly, you need to say, God, I arrest the spirit. Yes. I arrest it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it is then when we respond and only then that we can truly rest in him. And that is my point number six. I told you we had seven points, so I'm almost there. And rest is nothing more than a surrendering of our will for his. So when you allow him to arrest you, then it's absolutely appropriate to rest in the surrender of his presence. You know, he woke me up out of my sleep the other night. He said, I'm going to teach you how to rest with your eyes wide open. Because when you're a type A personality and a workaholic, like I was, you can assign things to rest that are unhealthy. I thought rest was lazy. There was a time in my life where I didn't sleep more than three or four hours a night because I thought rest was lazy. And then somebody convinced me, maybe it was 40, 45, 46, 47, convinced me that you're going to have to sleep. So then I decided that I will only rest when I'm sleeping, and when I am awake, I will be productive. And the Lord said, that is not of me in this season. I'm going to teach you how to rest with your eyes wide open, and that requires a surrendered posture. Point number six. (laughs) And then I love this point number seven because I almost didn't include it. I stopped at six points. I had a pastor friend, L. Clark, who has gone on to be with Jesus. And the last conversation we had, he said, Pastor, have you learned how to rest? I said, yes, I have. He said, well, have you learned how to have joy? He said, is this job fun to you yet? I'm like, no, it's not intended to be fun. Ministry ain't fun. Life ain't fun. (laughs) And I believe God has a soundtrack. And at that moment, he pressed the soundtrack, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm like, what in the whole world? Because, see, I live a sober existence. God has called me to a place of sobriety, and I had associated sobriety with a lack of joy. But let me tell you what happens when when you accept that posture. His word says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you have no joy, you have no So point number 7 is rejoice. Rejoice and again I say, rejoice. Because as you rejoice, you will get the strength that you need. To do what I believe is not just another point, but a call to action and that's number 8, restart. You've got to rejoice after you cycle through all of that because you need to build up your strength because life is going to get real again. And you don't want to go from resting. How many of you have ever been woken up out of your sleep alarmed? That is not a good feeling. The reason most people don't rest, the reason I don't sit with my back to the door in a restaurant is because I want to see it first. Now, I don't know what I'm going to do about it when I see it. (laughs) As many of you, even those of you that think you're prepared, you're not as prepared as you think you are. I promise. But when we rest in him and surrender and we rejoice, we get a supernatural strength. I think somewhere in the word it says, For they that wait upon the Lord... Y'all better say that scripture. You mount up. There's a different type of strength that comes. And so when you're rejoicing, you're actually refueling, right? So you're rejoicing and you're refueling. And so he's not having to wake you up from a prostrate position. You're already on go. Be free in that. There's freedom in the rejoice. So I had somebody ask me once they said pastor you know I get love in the Lord I get revelation I get all of that but does it take all of that that y'all do in church see I have some pretty smart friends guys Hallelujah. and sometimes brilliance can make you boxed in culture can make you boxed in orientation to life can make you boxed in I told you I was a scientist first I was born into a Catholic family. I was sprinkled before I was dunked. Decorum mattered. Yes. Amen? Some of you have that same orientation to life. So it was absolutely asinine to even think for a moment that I was going to run around anybody's sanctuary. It was absolutely asinine to think for a moment that I was going to do a five, six, seven, eight doing worship service. For me, worship was holy holy. Turn the page. (laughs) Amen. But whom the son set free is free indeed. Restart. And so the reason I make that not a point but a call to action is because I think that's where he's calling us now is to a place where we can restart. Why? Because there are relational responsibilities to this thing called faith. We truly are correspondents in a war zone. I wasn't going to read this one, but I feel like I'm going to close with it. If you could turn with me to Acts 1. one. (laughs) I'm going to start with verse seven, but I really want to get to verse eight. It says, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the father has put in his own authority. Basically what that scripture says is life happens and it's going to happen. Even with all of our prayer, and the promises that he's put before us, life is life and life is going to happen. And he's not going to always call us in advance to give us notice. Now, I believe sometimes there are warnings. There are very clear warnings. If Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever, there are certain things that we encounter because nothing is new under the sun. But he doesn't say when and he doesn't say how. But what he does say in verse 8 is, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. We are witnesses. And guys, let me tell you, if we were in the court of law and we were called to be a witness, And we gave our name and we raised our right hand and they begin to ask questions. And we begin to go into this diatribe about, well, I think. I thought I saw, well, Pastor David said, you would be deemed a hostile witness. But he says that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we shall be witnesses. Which means that we will be correspondents looking through a cruciform lens because of our relationship with him that brings revelation, we can boldly stand and say that life is surely real. Life is surely hard, (laughs) but God is still God. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, why does our story matter? And why has he called us all to be correspondents? Because he warns us over in Revelations. Because if the word is true, then the adverse is true. In Revelations, it says they will overcome. Let's flip it. They will not overcome if they don't know the fundamentals of our faith and the power in your testimony. So you must testify to what God has done. It's simple, and I want to teach you. We're all going to go to school, so you all will leave. Correspondence. You know, I had a a nursing instructor tell me once, she said, we're far enough in our curriculum that if you're out there in the streets, if you're on a plane, if you're in a grocery store, and somebody goes down in a medical emergency, you need to assume that you're the most qualified in the room. After I share this with you, I want you to assume as you walk your neighborhoods, as you look in on Facebook, as you have conversation in the office, I need you to assume that you are the most qualified witness in the room. Revelation says they will overcome by the blood of the lamb. That's basically, guys, simple. Learn it with me if this is your first time. You don't have to remember everything in here to do this. How many of you think the reporters on television, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, the BCC, none of them know everything about everything yet they speak to whatever they choose to. I'm asking you to choose to be a witness. So it's this simple. The blood of the lamb. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He could have spoken a word and got us all right. But he saw the need to teach us how to be relationally engaged, relational reciprocity mattered. It matters then. It matters now. How can you say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I've given you everything you need to take the mic and go live. The peace I cannot give you is how you finish that out. He says, "The power of your testimony." You guys saw the song that I thought was so appropriate in closing this. It says, I saw the Lord, and he heard and he answered. That's why. And what I wrote down was dot, dot, dot. The power in your testimony is as simple as this. I saw the Lord. I sought the Lord. And he heard and he answered. That's why. Dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. I believe him. That's why I believe him. That's why I can say I'm healed. That's why I trust him. That's why I love him. That's why I rely on him. That's why I rest in him. That's why I rejoice. It's because I saw the Lord and he heard and he answered. See, guys, we're trying to complex, we're trying to make complex something that is so simple. And we wonder why people are feeling the need to be homicidal and suicidal because we've made it too complicated it's simple the four square gospel is a balanced gospel you can stand on it with one foot he saves he heals he's speaking and he's coming back again I sought him He heard me, he answered, and he wants to do the same for you. If you know him today, go empowered. If you don't know him, find somebody. I don't know how you all do altar calls. I don't know how you do ministry time. But I feel compelled right now, if you find yourself having to kind of double judge to get into this message. Because we left you at relationship with the Father. I want to give you the opportunity. To just sit where you are and raise your hand and say, I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to know that he knows me. If all eyes can be closed and heads bowed. If you are reacting to the world around you, if you are reacting to life and you know it, I need you to assume that you don't know him and just raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Amen, amen, amen. Father God, they are seeking you. I pray simply that you see them right where they sit today, Lord. Touch them, Lord God, in a fresh way. Even if this is a repeat conversation, Father God, have it again do it again. Father God, draw them into communion with you in a way that they can have full appreciation for who you desire to be in their life in this season, in this place. And Father God, for those of us that have been walking with you for a while, Lord God, I pray right now, Lord God, that you will download real time revelation about how we execute. The enemy is roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And it is up to us to be prepared to do no more than what you commanded us to do. Tell them about Jesus. And tell him what he means to us as individuals. Blood of the lamb, power of the testimony. Your science is simple. Your way is true. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be in my father's house. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way the most recent episode will always be in your feed. Ready when you are God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.